What's up? My name is Alex Terranova. I am the host of the Dream Mason podcast. Welcome. We started this in 2017 because we wanted to highlight the journey of Dream Masons. There's a Dream Mason in all of us. A Dream Mason is someone who is awake to their dreams and driven by the passion, the purpose, and the desire to turn that dream into reality. We interview athletes, gold medalists, Super Bowl champions, artists, creatives, eight, nine figure entrepreneurs, spiritual leaders, and everyone in between. And sometimes we even walk them through challenges that they're currently facing. So depending on whether you're catching this as a regular interview or a playing with problems segment, there is something for you, whether you're at the peak of your journey, at the low point of your journey. I look forward to having you join me on this journey. And I hope that this show helps you unleash your inner Dream Mason. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. I am very excited about today's show. Uh, for one, I just want to say our guest was on this podcast, God, roughly two or three years ago. She blew my mind then. She opened up my, my uh, consciousness to new ways to look at happiness, to new ways to look at um, perfectionism and achievement. I know she's going to bring more of that today. Um, I'm also really excited because she's releasing a new book. And if there's somebody out there that is creating content, creating materials, creating books, this is a person whose stuff you should be getting, reading. She is brilliant and I just can't say enough about, I, I remember how much I was left with from that episode. And I'm going to talk to her about that too. But so let me tell you a little bit about her um, before we jump in. And I also want to say she's going to be in my new book, How Dreams Are Built. Uh, so not only is she in, has her own new book coming out, but I have a new book coming out and she's going to be featured in both of those. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Christina Mondlakiani is an international speaker. She's an entrepreneur. She's an artist. She's a philanthropist. She's also the mother of two kids. She is the co-founder of Mind Valley, uh, which is one of the, if you don't know Mind Valley, you're not paying attention in like the personal development world. Mind Valley is massive. They're a leading publisher in the personal growth industry. She has spent the last 20 years of her life and career learning from teachers like Michael, Michael Bernard Beckwith, Bob Proctor, Lisa Nichols, and so many more. Christina really uh, helps her students to hack happiness by taking them through her unique framework, which, which is called hacking happiness, um, which is a way to balance your life and take in every moment and playing, paying close attention to the small choices you make. Christina is also an author of, is also the author of three, I can't speak today, Transformational Quests, Seven Days to Happiness, Live by Your Own Rules, and The Art of Being Flossom, which is the book that is coming out. You, that's the book you need to pick up. Christina talks about personal transformation, authenticity, understanding, and accepting yourself and the path to happiness. On this episode, Man, me and Christina dive into so many cool things. We talk, we talk about happiness. We talk about depression. We talk about success. We talk about self first. We talk about why do we glorify stories where people have sacrificed everything and given up everything to achieve something? What is that all about? We talk about taking risks in business. We also talk about our shadow side. We talk about achievement and perfectionism. We go really deep. We get into some personal stuff here. I show you some personal stuff. I am really excited to have Christina 
man Lakiani on the podcast for the second time. Let's jump into this episode. Christina, thank you so much for becoming back on the show. I'm excited to have you back. You're you're going to be in my new book and you have a new book, which is really exciting. But as I said to you before we started recording, you're one of my favorite guests that I've ever had on this show in, I don't know, almost 300 episodes. Oh, wow. First of all, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to come back again and, and for, for your kind words. Yeah, it's it means a lot. You, I don't... I should have gone back. So I remember, I, I was just kind of telling you this. I remember the impact you had. I don't remember what you what you actually said because it was a while ago, <laughs> two years ago. Um, but I remember when I spoke to you and interviewed you about two years ago, the way you spoke about happiness, the way you spoke about cultivating happiness, the way, at least the way I felt like it was impacted was really like personal responsibility and not just like faking it. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember leaving that episode with a new insight and a new take on how to cultivate happiness, which, mm -hmm. you know, is as I look at some of these aspects of your new book, The Art of Being Flossom, which is a great name, um, which looks at like the, it, it kind of, I wanna say, at least for me, it made me feel like the shadow side of, of happy, like mm -hmm. it exposes a lot of like the, the other stuff people are doing, like just pretend to be happy or just fake it till you make it. And it doesn't feel like that. Your, your work feels more authentic and more real. <laughs> you know, the, the initial uh, title of the book, the working title was something about finding your path back to you. So it, ha it has to be uh, more uh, authentic in the sense that uh, uh, that was the goal. The goal yeah. was to figure out how to, how to find your way back. In fact, my book starts with a very bizarre experience where I came to work and my friend said, I missed you. And I replied to her, I missed me too. And I realized that uh, in this race, I have lost the main character of my, uh, of my own story. So mm. the working title was coming back to to yourself, but it's interesting you said uh, about faking. I guess I was talking about that <laughs> on the past show. Uh, I have I actually have a chapter in my book which is called "Don't Fake It," uh, because it is it is a very interesting uh, aspect of the industry that I I'm partially to blame for creating uh, personal growth and transformation, uh, and and it is a valid valid uh, technique also to to make changes in your life when you first. Uh, do the behaviors you're aspiring for, even if you're not there yet. So I get I get the logic of uh, fake it till you make it, but in my opinion, it's it's a very shaky ground to start your relationship from, because it's faking. And you know uh, what I talk about is relationship with yourself, yeah. and any relationship has to start with honesty. I think. Uh, so so it's it's an interesting topic you you just touched upon. Uh, I, I'll, I'll let you actually take the conversation wherever you want to take it because it's your audience. You know what you, what you want. Well, I, you know, you, there's, there's a. Let's stick with this for a second because you, you have the kind of dark side or the controversial side of personal growth that you talk about in the book. And I, when I look at social media, when I look at a lot of the people out there, I personally cringe often. And me and my wife sit around and I'm and she'll look at me and she'll be like, "Why is why does that?" And I'm like, cause it feels so phony. It feels like, or, or the other side is I've met people who do personal growth work and they're not the same in real life as they portray themselves mm. to be. 
or you all you'll hear about the scandals that people have gotten into and um and i'm curious like does that does any of that tie in like what is to you what is the dark or controversial side of personal growth i take stabs at personal growth in my book mostly because i've been in the industry for such a long time and i do feel like it's uh, almost like making fun of yourself so it's mm -hmm. like, it's kind of fair but I, what I want to say is that uh, personal growth industry is like any other industry. It's like uh, investment industry. It's like entertainment industry, like news industry. It's an industry um, which has its extremes and its excesses. And it has, of course, it has its, um, uh, you know, its, its ideals. The, the difference is the lingo that we use. But the humans inside it are, in essence, the same humans. Maybe they solve slightly different problems. And yes, maybe it was a little bit extreme of me to compare personal growth with, with the <laughs> investment industry. But, uh, but the fact is that it's populated with humans and mm -hmm. humans are imperfect. And whether you take social media or you take, uh, or you take uh, ayahuasca retreats, we still stay humans mm. everywhere. And sometimes we, well, the part of, part of being a human is being afraid of your humanness, being afraid of your imperfection, or being afraid of people judging you for who you are. So that's why we put up facades. So facades on social media have more to do with success, with beauty, with youth, you know, with all those things that we idealize. Facades and personal growth have more to do with holiness, with being woke, with being just. <laughs> so different facades, but the essence is the same. Mm. That's really good. Let's let's go with this right to authentic. So how do we know what's how do how do we as consumers, right? We're on the other side of this podcast, we're on the other side of your book. How do we know what is authentic? Like what is actually authentic beyond, you know, you kind of say beyond the buzz, but what is authentic? Well, you know, any any research or any any journey has to start with a definition. And of course, authenticity is uh, this unlucky thing because we don't have any um, science-based or research-based definition of authenticity. The only, the only science where we talk about authenticity is anthropology. Uh, and in that, that science, it means true to your, true to, true to the essence or true to the origin. Now, when it comes to human beings and to our relationships, then I think authenticity is a relationship with yourself, the most important relationship in your life. And we understand relationships when there are two people or three people, but it's a little harder to understand the relationship with the self. But if you look at yourself as a multifaceted, complex human being, then it is really how do you relate to yourself? And that's what authenticity is in essence for me. So what makes someone authentic is the question that only that person can answer. So my authenticity and your authenticity will be very different. Uh, because only I would know what it means to be true to me. That's why when my friend said, I've missed you, and I said, I missed me too, that was even possible because I had forgotten what it meant to be me. And uh, and that that is uh, pretty much the journey, just trying to remember what, what does it mean to be you and, try, and, and trying to come to peace with what it means to be you. Because as I also mentioned, humans are imperfect and there will be things about you which you don't maybe want to accept or like. When you, when you talk about your, when you talk about your friend who, who you had that experience with, what did you do to find your way back to you? It, it was, you know, it was a shocking moment. It was, uh, 
I kind of stopped in the tracks for a moment and it was like a glitch in the matrix. I was like, what did I just say? Uh, but it it was a journey, you know, in psychology, they have this interesting concept that if a problem took so many years to uh, to be created, it will take almost the same time to un unpuzzle it and undo it. So uh, for me, it has been a journey. It's forever a journey. Uh, it's a journey of uh, discovering yourself, discovering yourself uh, in relationship to yourself and in relationship to the world. Because while authenticity is your relationship with yourself, but then to understand yourself, you actually need an interaction with the outside world because otherwise you'd be a hermit in a cave. And, and what good is there in introspection if you don't, you know, if you don't interact with the outside world? You know, are you, an analogy would be when you go to a gym, you need weights for you to exercise because otherwise your muscles are not going to rip and you won't get the benefit and they won't grow. So the same way, the point of you learning about yourself and discovering yourself is actually to exercise your relationship with the outside world. So um, it was a journey and it still is a journey. And uh, it's fueled by curiosity mostly. I, I was just curious. I was like, why did I say that? What does it mean? Was I missing? But I'm, I'm, some people call me inspiration. I have Instagram life. I have a beautiful facade. What's going on? Why am I, why am I missing? Why am I not happy? I've achieved all my goals. Why do I feel like I'm in a dead end? Why do I feel stuck? I'm supposed to be happy. How dare I? You know, all those questions. And when I started looking for answers to all those questions, and I always have a lot of questions, that's when, that's when the interesting part started. You just made me think of something that a lot of people I speak with, a lot of uh, my clients, myself, people that are are highly motivated, live great lives, are accomplishing their goals. Often it can feel like it just never ends. We accomplish a goal and then we're back with pick another goal and start over again. And right, we have these moments. I just recently got married and it, we had this like amazing uh, almost three week adventure with friends and family. And then it was over, right? We're like on these highs of happiness. And I notice, right, we come after a high of happiness, there's often a drop off. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that 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 you have or in, in your book that um, speaks about this, these high, these these natural highs and lows that we go through of life? Well, I talk about a lot of things which would cover uh, not completely your question, but with a different aspect of that. I do talk about emotional uh, literacy, what I like to call it emotional literacy, but uh, an easier way would be emotional ABC, because I think we are, we are taught how not to feel. That's, mm -hmm. that's how we're brought up. Don't, don't scream, don't be upset, don't be angry, don't be sad. Uh, we are not taught how to feel the unpleasant feels. And I talk about that, and that's probably touching upon your idea of the lows. Uh, I do have a chapter about happiness, but uh, contrary to, <laughs> to people's expectations, I talk about what happiness is not. <laughs> I don't say what happiness is. And one of the things, what it is not, it's not an emotion. I mean, we are used to define happiness as an emotion. It's usually, if you take an emotional chart, you would usually find happiness there somewhere between bliss and joy and, and something like that. But I refuse to, um, I refuse to define it as emotion because the nature of emotions is that they're transient, they are volatile, they change. They change as you experience them, they change as you express them. Uh, so because they change, then if you equate happiness to an emotion, you will never reach it. You mm -hmm. will reach that high. It is, as, you, as you are living it, it changes. 
So the very bizarre thing about psychology, for example, and I like psychology because it gives like structure and, and science to, to things which, which we all experience in life. The interesting thing about psychology is that we have a definition of such a permanent state as depression. But, and it's, it's a very curious fact, we don't have a, a, a definition for a permanent state which is good for you. There is the state of flow which comes close to that. Uh, and it actually is also, it has its roots in the idea of uh, hedonic, uh, hedonic treadmill, uh, so which, which comes as close to happiness as it, as it gets. But I, I insist that if you define happiness as a certain state, which is productive, which is at peace, which makes you feel good and present, then that's, uh, that's the surest path to finding it. Mm. I've never heard that before. And it's a great point that we have this term de like depression as a permanent, right? This is where you, someone is depressed, but that happiness doesn't exist like that, that there is no other side to that. There's no pendulum on that scale. That's very interesting. Um, we, we, we talk about different, uh, you know, d d different, for example, positive affectivity, which, uh, and I'm talking about psychological concepts right now, which kind of come close to that, but somehow nobody dares to take happiness as a research uh, subject and a phenomenon which we could actually cultivate, cultivate which is interesting. And I have my own theory because we, uh, you know, we humans, I think we do value happiness a lot. We, at least that's, if I were to ask you, what would you wish on the person that you love the most? You would most likely say, I want them to be happy. You might say also, you want them to be, I don't know, healthy, healthy and, yeah. and rich and whatnot, but happiness is always part of the wish. And in the end of the day, we would say, well, whatever, as long as you're happy. Uh, and if you, if you dissect your own goals, if you go deeper and deeper, why do you want a certain goal? Like you have, for example, you have the goals for the year and you take every goal and you start asking yourself, why do you want that? Why do you want that? And you go deeper down that path. Eventually you will come to the statement that because that will make me feel good. Or in essence, that, that is because uh, I, that will make me uh, happy. We want happiness, but we are afraid to even admit mm -hmm. that. That's really interesting too. And I mean, just from my own personal, from having this journey of what one of my friends said to me, you know, he asked me, how is it going since coming back? And I said, it's been rough though. The few days after coming back into, you know, let's say normal life. And he said, yeah, you were actually living the dream. And, and it's not to say, I don't think everyone's wedding, every, everyone's family situations. We happen to have this amazing, amazing uh, situation with community and friends and family in this beautiful place. And I think that's to me when I think when I hear what you're saying, I think that's what we're afraid of because it does happiness doesn't feel like something we can hold on to. It feels like something we get little bites of and then yeah. it like runs away and we have to chase after it again. And we don't necessarily know when when we're gonna get it again. I do also though at the same time think that when we when we do things like practice what what your work and your, you know, what what all the work you've spent your life doing. When we practice that kind of work, personal development work and working on ourselves and becoming more authentic, I do think the happiness bar shifts in our favor. Mm -hmm. Like we are happy more often than maybe prior, at least for me, that's been my experience. Yeah. But that's, but that's um, not, um, that, that wasn't the goal. That usually is a side effect. And that's, that's what I'm trying to convey mm -hmm. is 
we have to we have to prioritize it and to focus on it if we want to achieve it. Because look, in personal growth, there is one very simple rule. If you want to be rich, work on your relationship with money. If you want a happy marriage, work on your relationship yeah. with another person. If you want to be healthy, work on your uh, whatever body, uh, nutrition, exercise, right? We have that rule. Yet yeah. somehow when it comes to happiness, the message that we get is that if you want to be happy, don't chase it. How is it supposed mm. to happen? As a side effect and you're lucky? Well, one thing that, uh, that I would like to challenge is that, yeah, if you, if you equate happiness to the state of elation or excitement, it is not going to last and it's not a sustainable goal and it probably isn't even healthy for you. Because positive stress, and stress by stress, I mean like this me medical uh, state in which, uh, you know, your physical state in which your blood pressure goes up and your heart rate goes up and whatnot. You know, you feel that even sometimes when you're about to kiss someone for the first time. But even positive stress is not very good for you if it, if it continues. So sure. how do you define your happiness? What does it mean for you? And can you be happy? You know, probably the... the this whole rant could be summarized into this brilliant, genius, anonymous quote from internet. Happy are, these, uh, are those people who are on a detour and can still enjoy the scenery. Mm. Is life supposed to be constantly on the high? Or maybe that's the norm of life that it's, it's, it's like a dance. It's, it's not a military march. Mm. It's a dance, a step forward, a step backwards. It's, it's funny to hear you say how you how you pose what we do in personal development work when i when i started this journey personally for the first time like nine years ago my first coach said to me what do you most want and i said i just want to be happy mm. and she said that's great and to, she, i'm going to paraphrase but she basically said you know we can't stick a thermometer in you and measure that how will we know and her and I created this really interesting game where we said, if Alex was happy, this is what his life would look like. And we imagined a, a life that I imagined a life in which I was happy. And a lot of those things were like, I would be with more community, with more friends and family. I'd be more outdoors. I would be writing more, right? I would just all the various things. And we almost approached it in the way that you're saying that most of us don't, which is really cool to look back on because we weren't conscious of doing anything special. We just approached it as a goal. And, and it probably, you know, two years into working together, she said to me one day, hey, did you notice? And she listed a few things off. And I went, oh. And we both kind of paused. And I went, I'm as happy as I've ever been. And I, and well, I, think, I think to your point, it works both ways. The happiness was a side effect of those things, right? Me writing more made me more happy. Me being with more people made me more happy. But me saying I wanted to be happier had me go do those things that created the happiness. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would say that you were lucky that the side effect was happiness. Mm. What you were describing was your dream life. Mm -hmm. and in a way, you are lucky. A lot of people will relate to a slightly different scenario. They know what their dream life is and they go for it. And they mm -hmm. achieve it mm -hmm. and they feel happy. And then, yeah. And then we call it midlife crisis or whatever. Yeah. Well, what do you do then? Well, I think that was, I think un unintentionally, I think we got lucky, right? To your point, like we did it because the things that we put into what would make me happy were not achievements. 
Mm. Right. It wasn't like, oh, I would write this book or I would make this much money. I think that's often what we do. And and that's I've fallen into that trap. They were <laughs> they were they were community. They were family. They were connection. They were nature. They were activities. Um, and and again, I say we stepped into a by accident because now even if you asked me, what do you want? I would go more to the achievement things, thinking those will increase my happiness. But back it's, it's, it's a typical trap. You know, by the way, you you were not completely 100% lucky. There was some uh, science in what you did as well, because the only, uh, you must have heard about this super long research by Harvard University, which lasted for 75 years. They tried to figure out, uh, you know, what's the biggest contributor to people's happiness. Yeah. And the only thing they discovered was uh, human connections. Yeah. So a lot of the things that you mentioned was uh, family, human connection, you know, being with people that you love. It's it. Th this is actually science about happiness. But uh, <laughs> but with that with, with that said, you know, you just said a very very interesting uh, thing. People have goals, and they. Uh, are much more goal and achievement oriented than happiness oriented. And here comes this. I, I get I puzzle myself with that question all the time because on one side I'm a teacher and a author and a writer, but I have been a marketer and an entrepreneur all my life as well. So if if there's something I learned in 20 years in personal growth, I know that happiness, self-love, well, I do not know about authenticity, are not very marketable topics. Mm. And that's a very interesting thing because people say, uh, we, we call them soft skills. And, you know, that's the interesting thing uh, to me because I wonder what's soft about those skills. <laughs> uh, um, take, take research. 85% uh, of adults in the Western world have low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. And that's... Uh, a symptom of uh, of really troubled relationship with yourself. That's what we started with, authenticity, self-love, you know? So that means that the soft skill is not very easy yeah. if 85% can fail on that. If you look at happiness research, uh, I, I actually do not know the numbers. I know, uh, I know there's research uh, which uh, tries to find the connection between happiness and success. And you don't need research to understand that success doesn't bring happiness. It's enough to look at all the accomplished people out there. How many of them are having anxiety, depression, have uh, horrible relationships with their families, even have killed themselves? Success doesn't bring happiness. You don't need research for that. In fact, if we equate success purely to uh, monetary success, then uh, I think the number uh, until which your happiness increases is somewhere a little over $1,000 a month. Until that number is hit, your happiness is tied to your success. But after that, the connection breaks. I'm I'm sitting here listening to you share this and, and I know I've heard this, I know this, and yet it feels like we live in a world where that that like message doesn't land. Right? People yeah. you know why? You know why? Because people say I have business, I have customers who refuse to pay. I have a teenage child who doesn't listen to me. I have bigger problems than that. That's, that's, the, that's the mistake that we make. We think, and, and I'm quoting a, a friend of mine, a teacher from Ukraine. He says, we think that we have problems in business, which are more important than, than our personal well-being. But in reality, we have problems in private life, which project mm. onto business, onto business, onto relationship, onto family, onto health. 
Mm. We, we we don't understand that connection. Uh, you know, Hal Wecker, another wonderful teacher, he says, there are no, there is no such thing as a big problem. There's just a little you. The more you, the, the bigger you are, the, the smaller the problem is by comparison. So that's the thing that we forget. We always put our well-being uh, to the background because yeah. we think that it can wait because we have bigger problems. Yeah. Hmm. That's so, so resonant. And anytime I get quiet, those are the messages. Slow down, right? Slow down, take care of yourself more. The things that you think you're worried about are not the things that you need to put your attention on. Can I ask you, how do you, you're, you're, you're an author, you're a mother, um, you, you write, you do, you do philanthropic work. You, you're, you're all over the place. You're doing plenty, you're doing interviews. How do you take care of yourself to right to do the things that you're also trying to help other people do? How do you do it for yourself? Well, you know, uh, Dalai Lama once told me, Christina, you can't help anyone if you're not happy. And uh, I would uh, I would extend that meaning of happiness into uh, just a blanket meaning of well-being. You can't really go and help people uh, from a bad place if you're miserable. If you haven't taken care of yourself it's unsustainable if you if you share your misery misery is all you have to give it's just same simply unsustainable and i'm saying it with uh, at least 10 years of experience in uh, in charity and and um, humanitarian work now i'll give you a little um uh, I'll, I'll give you the the answer short answer and then a little um illustration to that uh, i take care of myself first uh this phone those who can see the video, I have a phone in my hands. No matter how wonderful that device is, if I don't charge it, it won't work. And if I want to use it, I have to charge it and make sure that its battery is full. That's how I treat myself in terms of self-care. I have to take care of myself. If I don't, I won't be able to function. And I'm very clear about that. Now, the small analogy, uh, we, me, and, me and my daughter visited a husky farm in, uh, in North, northern Norway. And uh, they have races in winter. And in winter in northern Norway, it's completely dark. It's super cold. It's so cold that if you toss a water, uh, a glass of boiled water in the water, in the air, it falls down as ice. So they have races, husky races there. So they, uh, it's a sled, uh, dog sled. Mm. And they go from, from Tromsø, which is a seaside city, to Kirkenes, which is a city on the border of Russia and back. It takes about two weeks. And the thing about the race is that when you go on that race, you have a certain amount of huskies that you can do it with. And every morning, a vet comes and checks the huskies. And if the husky is uh, not in the good condition, the vet will, will insist that you remove the husky from the race. Because the husky who is not in good condition is not going to make it. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's experience. It's experience. They say you can't race if your dog is not in good condition. Now, what happens in those races? Because the twist is this. At some point, when the number of huskies is too low, and I don't remember if it's six or eight, and they remove the last one, you have to get off the race. You can't complete it. So what happens is that people who are in the race, they often have this horrible decision and they feel I can I can push through. I can keep going. Please let me just let me just keep going because the race is so uh, you know it's so thrilling. 
that you think that you can take care of everything else after you're done. Mm. But but the experience has has proven that this this doesn't work. You will run your huskies to death. And that's that you know that that simple thing is a reminder that no matter no matter how excited you are about your race and we we as a society we glorify those stories where people despite all odds have made it without realizing how much waste material these stories have created in their wake we we are enamored by the idea that somebody had had achieved something despite everything without realizing how many people have been broken on the path. You know, when I was four years old, I was picked for Olympic reserves and I was born in Soviet Union. I do not know if I've told you this story. Uh, I, I was picked so. for Olympic reserves and uh, Soviet Union was known for creating Olympians. Mm -hmm. they, took me, they took me for the first training and they, uh, it was Olympic reserves for gymnastics. So they put me in the split at the age of four like this, just by force. I was crying. I came home and I begged my mom never to never to take me to uh, that training ever again, which she thankfully did. And you could say that my, my journey uh, into sports was very short. The next year, they picked me up again for Olympic reserves, but figure skating, because I had what, it, what, what was needed for, 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 a, for an Olympian. Uh, I had it in my body. I didn't have it in my mind, obviously. Why I'm saying that story is that I'm a waste material, but I was lucky because I was wasted after the first training. Mm. How many people have devoted their whole life, have ruined their childhood, their health, and not made it? Yeah. And this is the only paradigm with which our contemporary world lives right now. Mm. We don't allow for anything else. We only allow for, for, for that horrible story of putting yourself mm. aside and focusing on your goal and if you die, too bad for you because there is someone who is not going to be and everybody's going to glorify them. Yeah, wow. That, it, it reminds me of all the, in, the inspirational people that talk about what will you sacrifice so you can have what no one else has? You know, what will you sacrifice? What will you do now so you can have what no one else has later? Or what, what are you willing to put in and we and it's that same we glorify right we glorify grinding and hustling and um you know even i was watching something last night it was like burning the midnight oil right these things that these terms that we 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 put on a pedestal right that's a good thing if you're burning the midnight oil you're a good worker you must be up to something and and even the term i forget i'm i'm reading a book i forget what what it was in but it's talking about uh hard work right? Hard work that most of our parents come from generations, whereas that's what matters most is how hard you can work. And, 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 and we have that. I notice that in my life where I'm thinking, oh, I want more. I need to work harder. I need to sacrifice mm -hmm. more of the good things in my life so I can get this thing that will then maybe give me more good things in my life. Um, because, oh. you know, it's a very understandable thing. We as good boys and good girls, we understand how to work harder, how to put more effort in, how to put yeah. more time in. That's tangible. And that seems like it's a sure path. Happiness of following your heart seems like a risky choice. But I'll tell you a very unpleasant thing. And I know I'm <laughs> misapplying Pareto law right now. I'm misapplying it a little bit. 80% of your results are produced by 20% of what you do. Yeah. 
You know that. In business, it's not the hours that you put in that to pay you back. In business, it's the risks you're taking. It's how crazy you're willing to be. It's how much you're willing to uh, risk failure. How do, you, uh, how do you take this? It's not about how many hours you put mm -hmm. in work. In fact, you wouldn't even build a good business if it relied completely on your man hours because you have limited amount yeah. of hours. All businesses have teams and teams means you can buy yourself time. That's the only place where you can buy yourself time. Let other people do the things. I want to, um, we're getting close to the end and there was something I wanted to, that I wanted to ask you. I'm looking at my notes really quick to see where it was. Um, oh my God, where, where was it? Um, I can't find it. Um, um, okay. So sorry, let's, let's talk about, let me actually ask you then while I'm looking for it, I'm going to, cause I'm going to find this. I, there was, there was something you wrote in your, one of your quotes that you wrote in the book that I had, that I had highlighted, but I need to find, go through while we're doing this, what what do you want to share that maybe, you know, you I know you've been doing a lot of interviews around your new book. Let me just um, say that, like, say the title again for people. The title is Becoming Flossom, Notes on What It Takes to Live Authentically. What do you want to share that people haven't asked you? <laughs> oh, God. I, I've been asked almost anything by now <laughs> and the things that I haven't been asked maybe should be private but <laughs> but you know in in light of our conversation what I would uh if, if if it was something like a parting word then it would be this if you could replace judgment with curiosity it would fuel your growth and and transformation and achievement mm -hmm. in a much more enjoyable way life doesn't have to be so painful I don't think so. <laughs> oh, I love that. Especially for me personally. My my I've spent the last almost decade trying to uncondition myself to to judge everything right off the back. It just like programmed in from childhood. And uh it's a hard thing to break when you're taught to assess and analyze and judge right away. Um but I, I would agree with you. It makes life so much easier and so much easier to be happy when you're not judging all the time. The question, the, the, the quote in your book that, that you said that I found that, that really resonated for me was, your dragons will not cease to exist no matter how well you build the walls of spirituality around them. <laughs> and, and for me, that, that really stood out because I think the way you talk about dragons is the way I would refer to like our shadow. And so often people relate to their shadow as this bad thing. And for so long I did, there was this bad Alex that I had to like put away. And sometimes when I go deep into spirituality work, my shadow scares me. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's scary and it's hard to love it. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, you know, with these dragons, since they're not going to cease to exist, what do you think, you know, what, what would your advice or um, tip be for like someone like me who like knows I want to, I want, I can't get rid of my dragon. I can't get rid of my shadow, but it's also scary. Mm -hmm. I, first of all, I have to say that I think bad Alex sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> he's fun. He's, he's a lot of fun, but he, he, he gets in trouble. He doesn't have a lot of integrity. 
You know, I'll, I'll answer first very philosophically and then maybe a little bit, if I, if I remember, I'll, I'll answer a little more practically. Uh, there's this idea, I think it's by Ken Wilber, that uh, we, we tend to think that only one side of the dark and the light, that only one side belongs to the spirit, but uh, actually both light and the dark come from the same source. And I'm, of course, loosely quoting him. Now, uh, the picture that I want you to imagine is a gloriously lit photograph with as much light as possible and no shadows, no depth, which don't you think it would look absolutely flat? Yeah, it would. Yeah. yeah. And by flat, I mean like, you know, the, 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 in, in, uh, they, they have them in those movies when they show the vitals of a patient and it goes flat because mm -hmm. the patient's flat. So, uh, you know, darkness contradictions or the, uh, the, the opposites are in this world and it's just, it's just a natural way yeah. the world is. There's day, there's night. There's winter, there's summer. There's light, there's darkness. There's pain, there's pleasure. It all, it all is natural part. Now, I know that because we don't talk about darkness or the dark side, we, ha we have fear. We don't understand. We are afraid because there is darkness, which is an integral part of you, which you can't eradicate. And there is just plain vice and filth, bad habits. And these should be changed. So how do you, you know, how do you make a choice? So there are so many things which are unclear and because we don't understand what humans do. If we don't understand, we try to pretend that it doesn't exist. Now, the thing that I want to say, and I know that uh, since most of your audience are men and they don't use the word perfectionism as much as women do, but for men, it's about achievement. It's in your own words, right? Mm -hmm. we, uh, you, uh, you judge your worth by what you have achieved, what you have done. So uh, very often we have a standard. What does it mean to be the best version of me? What kind of achievements? What kind of uh, you know, acc accolades? What kind of facade? What kind of perfect picture I, I uh, painted myself uh, in, in my head? And what I'm trying to say is that our obsession with that idea of the perfect version of me is exactly the source of our dark side. Because we are so not able to not even love our dark side, we are not even able to admit that it is there. And because we, when, when we don't know what to do with something, we shove mm. it away, we pretend that it doesn't exist. But just because you pretend that it doesn't exist, it's not going to cease to exist. Now, the practical solution would be a little bit simpler. You know, I'm a perfectionist all my life, a good girl, a perfectionist. And perfectionists are uh, pretty ambitious people with fairly good uh, confidence, but also like a huge failure of fear. Uh, uh, sorry, a huge fear of failure. So I've been perfectionist all my life. And about 10 years ago, I heard this wonderful phrase, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I thought, oh my God, this is so beautiful. That's what I am. I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I keep calling that, I keep calling myself that for years until one day I realized that I can't recover from being myself. Mm. That's the difference. There are integral parts of you which you refuse to accept, but they're there. And you have a choice. You have a choice. Are you either, either you're going to learn, you know, to, to learn to accept yourself fully, or you're going to pretend that you're someone else. And pretending is such a hard job. How much effort do you put into faking it rather than actually making it? 
Mm. We, you know, all this asset that you put into being something else. So I, I realized I can't recover from being myself. So it, I, I really have a choice. Am I going to, am I going to let perfectionism be my curse for the rest of my life? Or am, am I going to face that dragon, look it in the eye, and say, "Okay, you are here. What can we do now?" So it's not about slaying my dragon; it's about taming it. So I, I say, I know we have to wrap up. I, I say, just because you, you, you brought it up perfectly. I, I am a self-proclaimed recovering asshole, and <laughs> and what I, and what I notice, what I'm, what I'm hearing, and what you've shared is, well, first of all, me calling myself an asshole is me judging myself, and then the me calling that recovery, like I'm recovering from it, is recovering from just an aspect of myself, right? My shadow is, is the asshole. And, um, and while it's funny and people love it when they read my bio and, and that's the lead on my bio, um, there, it almost, it, it, what I'm getting is like, it, it keeps me in a game of keeping it kind of tucked away instead of being able to like, actually like embrace it. Mm. Well, you see, I, I was a little unfair because I use perfectionism as an example of a dragon and that's a very easy one. People are not usually not ashamed of being perfectionist, although perfectionism has its its dark mm -hmm. sides. I could use something else, something less uh, palatable, like asshole, right? But we are very judgmental. Like I like to say I'm a lazy person, and that's a quality of me. And people have been correcting me and saying, I, I know my marketers probably hate me saying that, or more than marketers, probably PR people hate me saying that. But I could I could call it, I am, uh, you know, I like to take it easy. I like to be in the present moment. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you have that part about you and it's integral part, it's not, it's not a habit, it's not a behavior, it's a part of your personality, then it makes sense to befriend it and to find out what does it mean? What are its dark sides and what are its positive sides? Like, okay, let's stick to perfectionism because it's easy. Uh, well, the dark side of perfectionism is that it paralyzes. You're afraid of failure. You're afraid of actually flaws and, and anything, uh, anything painful about your own personality so hearing criticism is incredibly painful it's uh, it's paralyzing it stops you from actually challenging yourself to the degree that you you could uh, and playing full out but on the positive side perfectionism uh, actually makes you shoot for the stars have a very high bar have confidence in yourself so there are good sides and bad sides now if i take um, my personality trait of being lazy since I've already spilled the beans. <laughs> you know, progress was fueled by people wanting to find an easier way out. Mm -hmm. I'm incredible at optimizing and delegating. But I'm also aware that if I, uh, if I just let myself flow, I might not do things which are important. So I, I know that it can, um, you know, it can slow me down. It can uh, make me give up things which are too hard. So I'm aware of that. And uh, I've learned to face that dragon and to tame it and to put the processes in place where it's not going to stop me from, from living my life fully. Christina, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I feel like I could, I could keep talking to you. I know you have to go. Um, I want to honor your time. I wanted to remind people again, your book is called Becoming Flossom, Notes on What It What It Takes to Live Authentically. Thank you for being on this podcast for a second time. 
you you're sending me away personally with so much to reflect on to be with thank you for that um i'm excited to have you in my new book uh how dream, how it's like right behind me how dreams are built um and i hope i can get you back on here again because every time you you just awaken something in my mind and i am so grateful to you so thank you thank you so much for for your kind words and for giving me this opportunity and do send me the link to your book i'll uh, yeah. i mean the best thing that you can do for another author is buy the book and i'm curious also <laughs> yeah we will uh and we'll put all everything to find your book and all your connect all your you know your your handles and everything in the show notes so everybody can click on that and they can find you easily and and find where to buy your book um i'm just a big fan i i really appreciate the work that you continue to do so thanks for being here thank you so much you're welcome and everybody who's here listening please go buy the book buy her book buy my book follow her follow me share this episode with a friend that you know will make a difference for this is the dream mason podcast and we'll see you next time thanks for listening honestly i'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream and i'm super grateful for your support if you got anything from this please help me out and share this podcast with one person today you can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirational alex on instagram you are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.